This podcast is brought to you by RMA, the Risk Management Association. RMA's sole purpose is to advance the use of sound risk management principles in the financial services industry. Learn more at rmahq.org. Hi, I'm Stephen Krasowski, Communications Manager at RMA. The Voices in Risk Management podcast series celebrates the diversity of experience, background, and skill that is driving the best risk management practices of today and which will be a must in meeting the challenges and complexities of the future. Today, I'm joined by Shelley Leposky, Managing Director and Head of Business Risk and Solutions at BMO Capital Markets, to discuss how she began her journey in banking, top challenges to managing technology risk, and her part in developing BMO's artificial intelligence-powered platform. Shelley, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So Shelly, how did you get started in your career as a banker in the financial services industry, and more importantly, in business risk and capital markets? Okay, so I started in the industry doing mergers and acquisitions, and then moved into uh, chief operating officer roles. And now I lead, uh, as you said, our our global business risk and solutions team here at BMO. Um, Our mandate is a first line uh, mandate including trade floor supervision, business unit compliance, anti-money laundering, operational risk and resilience, algo and automation risk, and then of course ESG risk, which is one of the newer areas. Um, I'm not sure how I could have planned, I think my career path to date, but I have learned a lot from the diversity of work and collaboration with colleagues. Um, across lines of business, like capital markets, uh, where I am today, uh, wealth and retail, and then across jurisdictions and lines of defense. I think having that that broad um, scope of experience is actually really valuable. Um, So I'm not sure I could have planned that, but I do think I'm wired to get excited about building and fixing um, and leading teams that help our business to grow in the right way. Great. Have you ha- ever had any mentors in your in your career journey, or been a mentor for someone else? Yes, and yes. <laughs> um, for me, um, I've had quite a few mentors. I've been. I feel like I'm blessed to have had mentors, um, and uh, I, I think some of the learnings that I take away from them, um, looking back, were really critical at that time. Um, but they were simple things like, you know, when I was earlier in my career and I wasn't sure, you know, an opportunity presented itself and it was a, would have been a stretch for me. Um, and I talked to um, a guy that was a mentor named Bill Donovan. Um, and he said, you know, I was early in my career, yet he listed out the things to illustrate that, you know, you've overcome this, you've done this, you've done that. What can't you do? And for, for my entire career, when, I, when I'm faced with something that I'm not sure of, I keep, I keep hearing his voice, you know, what can't you do? Um, and it's very inspiring. So that gave me a lot of confidence. My parents, of course, um, you know, my mom always used to say, don't do a half-assed job, just irritating growing up as a child, but it sticks with you. My dad uh, used to say, make sure you get an education because nobody can take it away from you. You can take your house, you can take your money or your car, but you can never lose your education. Um, And then my mom also, it's not what you say, but how you say it was something else she always used to say to us. 
So those, those things stick with you on a personal level. Um, and then, um, you know, over the financial crisis and some of the more recent challenges that our industry um, has gone through, I hear things like uncertainty is the hardest part of change, keep going and don't worry about having the answers, you know, just bring a group of people together to figure it out. So those are, I've certainly had a lot of mentors. And again, I feel like I've, I've been blessed. Um, and those are some of my takeaways. And that's what I, when I mentor others, that's what I want to pay forward, you know, is the ability to take a chance and believe in yourself and don't worry about knowing the answers and to rely on people, rely on a team of people, you know, you're not going it alone. Um, so mentors have been very important to me personally and, and, um, and I enjoy being a mentor to others. What advice would you give to someone thinking about a career in banking? So I would say four things, I think. Um, it's a tremendous opportunity. There are tremendous opportunities in financial services. Um, it's fast paced, it's innovative, it's creative, it's analytical, it's rewarding, it's challenging, hard work, and, and there is money to be made. Um, but you have to be a good athlete. And I think that the likelihood of being in a one role for 30 years is very low. Um, and so the industry's just evolving too fast. Um, and I think those who take advantage of being a good athlete and diversifying a skill set or a knowledge base um, will really have extraordinary opportunities um, in, our, in our industry. Um, the other thing on the opportunity side is spreadsheets that don't lead, people do, right? So whatever skills you have that could be very technical um, or analytical, at some point, you're going to have to develop the leadership skills if you want to advance um, in, in your career. And so I think sometimes earlier in one's career in this industry, there's a lot of reinforcement of very analytical or technical skills. And then at the mid-career point level, when you kind of start leading people, what got you there isn't going to get you to the next level. And so it would be good to be ahead of that and understand you know, the, that learning those leadership skills are very important. The second thing is letting go of old thinking. Our industry has quite a few stereotypes. Um, a lot of movies have been made about people in financial services. Um, and I think that that's really, really changed. Um, level of sophistication, innovation, breadth of skills have all increased. And that has has required us to diversify again, the types of people that are in the industry um, and the talent that we attract. Um, so I think that letting go of old thinking and the stereotypes about this industry is very important. Um, and then uh, letting go of old thinking, the other thing here is you know, making money fast year over year is old thinking. Our industry is volatile, um, you, know, you have to stick with it. Um, and, and there are going to be up years and down years, you know, just, just accepting the uncertainty in our business, um, and the asymmetry sometimes I think is something that, um, goes along with letting go, go of old thinking. Third thing is just checking your ego at the door, earning your stripes, being humble and thinking long-term. And then the last thing is, um, building relationships, 
being a good colleague um, and being a good human being. Those are things that, you know, I think it's advice for any career or any industry, um, but it's equally as important in our industry. So Shelly, what are some top challenges to managing risk with new technologies such as artificial intelligence? Yeah, this is such a loaded question. Um, I think it's important to start with the business context. So we are a financial services industry uh, with margin pressure, competitive pressure. Uh, we're operating in a dynamic market, economic and geopolitical environment, and there's extreme competition for high-performing talent. Um, in that context, you know, we talked about vulnerabilities like the sophistication of our business outpacing the sophistication of our risk management, um, aging infrastructure, manual processes, and having to be resilient in the face of cyber threats, which is something that with the level of sophistication that we're using has become more prevalent. So in order to manage risk in this context, and I like to say in order to drive fast and take chances to increase profitability, in order to drive fast and take chances to increase profitability, we have to have the right airbags, guardrails, ability to see around the bend, and we also have to be able to stop on a dime. And so what does that look like? Having a laser focus on business priorities and the risks we're taking, understanding our processes and ensuring we've got effective controls in place, and then our ability to predict when bad things will happen so that we can prevent them. So what about the technology? What about the specific risks related to the technology? Well, in that context, with those vulnerabilities, um, you think about things like um, I, at the ideation stage of a artificial intelligence tool or an automation tool, you know, if the, if the use case is unethical, then we have a problem. So we have to have controls in place for that. If, there's lack of, um, if there's on the data side, if we have insufficient data, if we don't have good security around the data, if we're not compliant with data privacy regulations, which vary by jurisdiction, we're going to have a problem. Um, if in the model development stage, we don't have a full set of data, um, or if there's bias, you know, baked into the model, um, or if the model isn't performing properly, we have a problem. And then you say, well, even if you get the idea right and the data right and the development of the model right, what if the implementation of it isn't, you know, has unintended um, outputs? What if the implementation um, has um, some type of misalignment between the implementation and the environment it's going to be used in, um, then you're gonna have a problem. And then operationally, you know, we have to think about technologies as um, being paired with people. So human plus machine. And so we could get the machine part of it right and the data right and the development of the model right. Um, and then the person, the human can mess it up, right? Um, they can just misuse the output from a model um, or, or simply have a human error that impacts the implementation or operationalization of that model. 
And so all of those risks, whether it's at the ideation stage or the data or the model development or implementation or operationalization have to be managed. And the themes around managing them generally uh, fall into buckets. And those themes could be having the right processes and controls in place at each of those stages. So think about ideation. How do we make sure that somebody can't have an unethical use case? Well, we can put a process in place to review um, ideas and and beat them up to make sure that, um, that and beat them up with a diverse group of people, right? Not, not, you know, it has to be a diverse group of people where you're not gonna have the right level of rigor around, um, around the review. Um, so that's, you're thinking about process, you think about guidelines, you think about um, quality control at each stage from the idea to the data, to the model development, implementation, and then the ability to operationalize. Um, continuous monitoring of the model performance. Um, so that's part of an ongoing monitoring, but it has to be um, by the right people. So again, a machine can monitor, but then you have to have somebody be able to, a human be able to use judgment um, and escalate and, and have a feedback loop back to either the idea or the data or the development or the implementation or the operationalization. So if you think about processes, controls, guidelines, feedback loops, um, and user, user experience um, feeding back as well. So I think those are, it's a very meaty topic. It's, it's a very simple question, but a very meaty answer because it's highly complicated and there are a lot of moving parts. Shelly, that was great. Now, BMO developed an AI-based platform to enhance its control posture in capital markets. Can you talk a little bit about some of its capabilities and ways it can predict and prevent losses due to fraud? Yes, um, this is very exciting. Uh, we, we created um, OLLI, our operational loss intelligence tool, um, to help predict when losses are likely so we can prevent them. So think about how managing operational risk has been um, done in the past. You have a person or a, a person process system that fails. Um, somebody writes it down or types it in, onto a piece of paper. Um, somebody then enters it into a system. Somebody then generates a report. And three months later, it's presented at a committee meeting. And you talk about what happened three months ago. Very, very, very backward looking. What Ollie enables us to do is marry internal data with external data, let that data flow through proprietary machine learning models to generate a signal. And that signal is a percent likelihood um, that an error will happen on a given day. Um, if the signal is below a threshold, there's no action. If the signal is above a threshold, then we take action. And if we think about why we lose money um, in many areas, it's because of input errors, missed execution or miscommunication. And so when that signal is above a certain threshold, we prompt actors in a process to slow their input, clear their queue and confirm their communications because that's the behavioral counter to input errors, missed execution and miscommunication. 
So it's, it's very exciting to be able to have forward-looking data to help us predict when losses are likely and prevent them. So how, what are the applications of that? Well, you talked about fraud. Um, we, we have uh, process models that we can use, and I'll give a little color on each of these. Um, trading, operations, payments, call centers, really anywhere you have tra- a lot of high volume transactions and people in the mix. So it's a manual or, or semi-automated process where at some point somebody is doing something and you could have a human error, a system failure, or just a process break. So on the fraud side, as you um, asked, we can have, um, think about a, a person logging into a payment portal and that's a client of a financial institution, let's say, and they log in and they are a um, coffee provider and every month they spend 10 million on coffee beans from a producer in Colombia. So every month, somebody from the company goes into a payment portal, logs in, has a uh, wire that needs to be sent, and it says 10 million X currency, X beneficiary, and an account number. But they do it so often, and they just go in and it's rote memory, somebody from the company saying 10 million X currency, X uh, company, account number. But then they get into the habit and it's just 10 million X currency beneficiary, 10 million X currency beneficiary, not ever checking the account number because we don't even do that personally. Like when was the last time that you would have checked a 17 digit account number? And so what we want to do is understand when a fraudster ends up hacking in or using business email compromise to reroute, change the account number and reroute the funds to their own account. Um, it's too late after those funds have already already been sent. It's very hard to chase those funds. So we want to get ahead of that. So we would use Ollie, again, ingesting internal and external data through our fraud model to generate a signal when a client has a higher likelihood of a fraud happening. If they log in to a payment portal on that day, we would shout at them through the portal and say, hey, you've got a higher likelihood of fraud today you must confirm your account number, not just the beneficiary and the amount and the currency, but you must confirm the account number, right? And so we're getting between the client and the payment before it's initiated and changing their behavior. And we do that with any anywhere. I mean, we do it in trading, we do it in operations, we can do it anywhere where we can get between the person and the action that causes a fraud or a loss. Um, On the process side, um, think about metadata that we can pull out of processes. So if people and hardware and software uh, are what we call our infrastructure, then process is the thread that holds all of that together. And if that thread is weakened, in any place within that process, then the infrastructure is gonna fail, whether it's the person, whether it's the software, whether it's the um, hardware. And so if we can pull metadata out of processes and understand where those soft spots are, and we understand the factors, economic conditions, volume, 
market conditions, people conditions, um, whatever those factors are that come together to make that process ripe to fail, if we can find out the places it could fail, maybe it's at a control point, maybe it's a, um, maybe it's a volume capacity limit, we can then address specific investment decisions in correcting one thing instead of trying to straight through process everything, which is unaffordable for most institutions. So you have intelligence, operational loss intelligence for um, a process that will help you make better decisions about where to invest. It will also help you make better decisions about um, where you might need to shore up a control, right? Or retrain a person or restaff an area as a business is growing. So we can use OLLI um, to ingest internal and external data to generate signal that tells us when we are likely to have an operational loss and we can change behavior um, and have a higher likelihood of preventing loss. Shelly, what would you tell other institutions looking to roll out similar systems? Um, I would say that to just continue thinking about four things, I think. Focus is big. So focus on where you're going to get the biggest return to build momentum. And then once a business begins to reduce operational events and losses, um, it can reduce the broader, what I call human error tax, which is the time and money we spend dealing with those losses. And that can create capacity uh, to self-fund as opposed to having incremental spend. So if you're focusing where you're going to get the biggest return, that's going to build momentum and enable um, further um, automation and opportunities. Second thing is to be methodical. Um, it's easy to get distracted when you realize uh, the power of AI and machine learning. So having a methodical approach to diligencing those ideas and making sure the cost benefit is there will keep you on track. Um, solving problems with people closest to the problem. I think sometimes we, we think we can't or we don't know enough to um, solve our own problems. And so we bring external parties in. External parties can add value, but then you're losing the institutional knowledge um, that, that could be beneficial down the line. Um, so solving problems with people closest to the problem um, is, has a pretty big return. And then failing fast. You know, test and learn if something doesn't work you know, get rid of it and then try something else. So focus, be methodical, solve problems with people closest to the problem and fail fast. Great. So Shelly, to wrap up, do you and your team have anything planned for the future regarding AI and machine learning? Yes, the, the list is long and I'm taking my own advice <laughs> to um, use a very tight process to um, make sure we're focused and methodical. Um, Again, I think of this as human plus machine. So top of mind, um, we've already talked about fraud. We've already talked about process. Um, I think third parties are very important. Um, we are accountable, all organizations, but certainly in our industry are accountable for our end-to-end -end processes, regardless of who executes them. So as the industry has, has outsourced more, uh, we find ourselves giving chunks of a process to a third party to execute on our behalf. And I've had, uh, I've heard both internally and from clients um, who've said, you know, we, 
outsource this activity. And now we see our outsourcing partners making the same mistakes that our internal folks used to make. And so the cost to that end-to-end process is still the same. Um, you're losing money, you're having errors, there's throughput problems, and there's potentially client impact. So that understanding, um, the same thing we talked about, process errors, fraud, um, with respect to third-party providers, I think is a pretty big opportunity. And then conduct is the other um, opportunity that we're looking at. We started ingesting our um, digitized voice. So we used to, the industry does voice surveillance on certain registered individuals. And it's a very rich data set. Um, it used to be analog, so you really couldn't do much with it other than pick up, pick up the recording and listen to it. Now we're ingesting our digitized voice into Ollie so that we can understand, you know, what is the relationship between the metadata in voice um, and conduct issues potentially, or even operational failures. But it just gives us a better understanding of a whole new set of data, um, the voice data that is very rich in metadata that we can also use um, to look for conduct issues or even opportunities before it gets to conduct. I believe that people, you know, come to work and want to do good. They don't want to make mistakes, but there's a context that they operate in that can that can push them to the edge. And so, um, we we want to understand conduct issues as they arise. But if we can get ahead of them, it's even better. If we can understand what happens before a person, le- you know, takes a um, makes a bad decision then uh, we can get ahead of them and maybe provide some training or some more coaching or advice ahead of that. So um, third-party suppliers and um, conduct um, would be two other models that we're working on. Shelly, thank you again for joining us today and being a part of our Voices and Risk podcast series. Thank you for having me.